Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Back before the midterms, before winter settled in, alarming news out of Georgia made national headlines. The Associated Press reported that 53,000 voter registrations were on hold at the office of the Secretary of State, Brian Kemp. All it took for a registration to be considered incomplete was a typo or a misplaced hyphen. For Marsha Appling Nunez, the problem was one missing letter. The first letter of my name, Appling, the A. The registration system had her as Pling Nunez rather than Appling Nunez. Something like that. I was a Pling instead of an Appling. Marsha is a teacher at a technical college in greater Atlanta, and she's a longtime voter. But because of that typo, her voter registration was nowhere to be found when she checked online. They couldn't find me. What did you think at that point? I had to, you know, tell the conspiracy theorist deep inside me to be quiet. <laughs> I really kind of felt like, uh, what's going on here? As you'll recall in October, Brian Kemp wasn't just overseeing elections in Georgia. He was also a Republican candidate for governor, up against Stacey Abrams. She was running to become the first black woman in that role. For months before the midterms, Brian Kemp had been accused of rigging the election by suppressing certain voters, especially black voters. They made up roughly 70% of the 53,000 stalled registrations. This November, when I went to Georgia, plenty of voters gave me an earful about those pending registrations. If you're going to cheat or do things like that to make sure that certain people don't have a voice, it's just not right. How could that possibly happen in America? That's not cool at all, no ma'am. When you're scared, yeah, you resort to um, doing little tactics. But Marsha Appling Nunez, she preferred to give Brian Kemp the benefit of the doubt. When you're reading these things in the newspaper or listening to them on podcasts or you catch the evening news, you think, huh, well, maybe they just didn't change their address or maybe they're not registered to vote or, uh, and they thought they had. And you try to give the benefit of the doubt. For Marsha? At least at first, it felt better to think this was a mix-up. I didn't want to believe that I would be a victim of voter suppression. I mean, I've been voting since I was 18. So I was kind of shocked when I had suddenly been no longer a registered voter. African Americans make up a third of Georgians. And yet, as Marsha would later find out, an overwhelming majority of the voters whose registrations were targeted were black. Black like her. Black like me. There's another commonality that you have with 70% of the 53,000 voters whose registrations are on hold in Georgia. There is. I so didn't want to believe that. What? Did they put me in pending on purpose? Is it because of how I voted in the past? You know, is, is it really because I'm African-American? Marcia knows how to spell her last name, of course. What she doesn't know is how her name got decapitated. It used to be that black people could be sure they couldn't vote because of the color of their skin from the 1890s straight through to the 60s. But these days, a more complicated kind of disenfranchisement wears on people. 
and more often than not, minority voters are impacted. I'm glad that voting is easy for some folks. I mean, I, voting should be easy. You know, I actually applaud those that are feeling that voting is easy. Rah, rah, good for you, right? <laughs> but I can tell you that there are millions of people in this country that voting is not easy for, right? That it is hard work and it shouldn't be. That's Latasha Brown. She co-founded Black Voters Matter, an organization that helps get out the vote across the South. We'll hear more from her later in the episode. You said something earlier that I'd love to go back to, Marsha. You said that you didn't want to believe that you were a victim of voter suppression. It feels like you wanted to not believe that because believing that would hurt. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, people have sacrificed and died for the right for blacks to vote, for women to vote. And it kind of was a slap in the face. I heard that I'm lumped into people that they feel aren't worthy of having a voice. From HuffPost, this is Shut Out, a podcast about the fight to vote in America. I'm your host, Catherine St. Louis. This is episode three, the day I started to fight. Maybe where you live, voting is uncomplicated. Registering is straightforward. You show up at your polling place and you vote. But plenty of Americans face obstacles, and some are ridiculous barriers to democracy. In some states, a sloppy signature on a mail-in ballot can disqualify a voter. In others, if a voter sits out an election or two, their name can be taken off the rolls, so they get shut out on election day. And in Georgia, as Marsha found out, a tiny typo can jeopardize the ballot of an American citizen. These tactics aren't what we think of when we think of voter suppression. Today's barriers aren't literacy tests that are impossible to pass, but these seemingly innocuous hurdles matter. They shut people out of the ballot box. Lawyers like Kristen Clark will tell you that such tactics are deliberate. These are officials who have resurrected Jim Crow tactics in a different form. These are officials who really want to take us back in time, back to a bygone era, and are bent on using any tactic or scheme that they can to lock voters of color out of the ballot box. Clark is the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, a group that has challenged many of these laws. Georgia is the belly of the beast when it comes to voter suppression in our country right now. Here's what happened with Marsha. About two years ago, she moved from Fulton County to DeKalb. She made sure to fill out a change of address form for her voter registration. And that's when the trouble started. DeKalb County, where Marsha moved, told us her name got entered wrong in the state database because of a clerical error. Her misspelled last name tripped up Georgia's exact match system. It requires voter information to precisely match a database. They sent Marsha a letter telling her she needed to confirm her identity. But Marsha says she never got it. Marsha had a valid Georgia ID, but she'd been flagged because the exact match system found a discrepancy. It didn't matter that she had entered the correct information when she registered. A state's database can be riddled with errors. Or sometimes officials don't do the very best job ensuring that they're capturing information accurately. That's how an eligible voter like Marsha gets flagged as suspicious. Once she is, it's up to her to fix an error she didn't make. 
Georgia gave her 26 months to fix the issue or be kicked off the rolls. Exact match is a restrictive, burdensome, unnecessary obstacle that is designed to keep people off the registration rolls. Why, why unnecessary? Because it's using minutia as a basis to lock people out of the ballot box. What's amazing is that none of this is new. Georgia has had a version of exact match since Kemp took office in 2010. And when we dug in and looked at who was being impacted, we found that it was impacting uh, Latinos and impacting African-Americans and immigrant communities. So it's no secret that exact match disproportionately targets minority voters. The Lawyers Committee sued Kemp over this very fact. Despite the fact that we sued him and we won, um, and despite the evidence we put forward showing this was discriminatory, here he is, two years later, moving forward with the same scheme. Part of what opened the floodgates for voting restrictions that target minority voters is a Supreme Court decision in 2013. I have the opinion of the court this morning in case 1296, Shelby County versus Holder. We got into Shelby County versus Holder in episode one. That's when the Voting Rights Act was gutted. Before, if any county in Georgia wanted to make a voting change, they had to first get it cleared by the Justice Department or a federal court. That helped stop discrimination in its tracks. But after 2013, the gloves were off. So by now you're probably thinking, how do they justify it? How do politicians get away with discrimination against black and brown voters that they worry will vote Democratic? What's their palatable, tweetable rationale? It's voter fraud. Some Republicans have made careers out of scaring people into thinking that they need to be afraid, very afraid, of hordes of people determined to cast illegal votes and steal elections. But the thing is, widespread voter fraud, it's a myth. It's a lie. And yet, no politician has made a bigger deal of voter fraud than Chris Kobach of Kansas. In 2010, when he was campaigning to become Secretary of State, he drummed up fears that the great citizens of Kansas were stealing dead people's identities, all to cast fraudulent ballots. He said it was just too easy. Why would it be so easy? Because in Kansas, we don't have a photo ID rule. And secondly, in Kansas, we are not uh, consistently and in a timely manner uh, removing from our voter rolls the names of dead individuals. Kobach named one such perp. He's practically gleeful that he found him out. Well, it turns out Alfred K. Brewer, according to the Social Security Administration, uh, was born on July 25th, 1904. Turned out he died May 6th, 1996. And Alfred K. Brewer voted in the 2010 primary election. But as it turns out, Albert K. Brewer was no ghost voter. He wasn't a fraud. He was a Wichita man in his 70s. And he was breathing when he voted in that primary. It was his father, Albert Brewer Sr., who had passed away in 1996. Kobach's example fell apart. Evidence of voter fraud is actually really hard to find. Here's Sam Levine, HuffPost's reporter on voting rights. You're saying that it is really cut and dry here, that if you take a hard look at the evidence, there is no substantial evidence that voter fraud is a widespread problem. There are incidences of it. People do knowingly cast fraudulent votes where they, they do intentionally deceive it. But if you look at it 
as, on the whole, it's not widespread. That's correct. That's the professor who wrote the book on voter fraud. Her name is Lorraine Minitti. She spent years searching for cases nationwide and found, well, very few. Like dozens of cases out of millions of votes cast. Voter fraud isn't an epidemic. It's a tall, tall tale. And yet, voter fraud doesn't die. It's kind of like a zombie. And there's a reason for that. Here's Sam again. Why has that fear, that concern, this talk of voter fraud persisted when the evidence is so clear? Well, I think you, you, you hit on it when you said the word fear. You know, we don't think rationally when we're afraid. And politicians know that. So stoking fears of voter fraud are, is, has become a strategy for the Republican Party. It, it's meant to mobilize people around the idea uh, that, in fact, we need stricter laws or that, um, you know, quote unquote, illegals are um, going to pollute an election and, and undermine the outcome and steal your vote. Once people are worried about voter fraud, which isn't a widespread problem, then officials can enact all sorts of voting changes that cause actual problems. That's how politicians justify kicking an eligible voter off the voter rolls because they didn't participate in an election or two. They tell constituents, maintaining voter rolls is our duty in a world of rampant voter fraud. Rampant voter fraud has also been used to justify Georgia's exact match system. Here's Kristen Clark again. Folks like Brian Kemp and others have been pushing this vote fraud narrative that has created a lot of noise and distraction. There is really no basis for the voter suppression tactics that we're seeing in this era. If people press pause and peel the layers back, I think they'd find that it is pretty cruel what we do uh, to people um, penalizing them for mere typos. Marsha was caught in bureaucratic purgatory for weeks, unsure if she had fixed the error online. How many hours would you estimate it took you to get your registration active again? A good five, six hours total. That's checking in the afternoon or when I'm shutting the house down for the evening and logging on real quick to check my voter registration status. Marsha checked her browser history and estimated she had gone on Georgia's voter registration site or vote.org to fix the error. 12 to 15 times. Who has time for this? Quite frankly, if I were working a full 40-hour work week, I would not have been able to be on top of this. The county says they became aware of the error on October 8th and fixed it. But it wasn't until weeks later that Marsha knew she was in the clear. Her voter registration card was postmarked October 25th, weeks after the registration deadline had passed. We talked to election officials about Marsha's case. It's unclear why it took Marsha so many attempts to fix the error. Plenty of voters don't have Marsha's persistence. And if they don't, in roughly two years, they won't be on the rolls anymore. It wasn't a one-and-done deal, and it's supposed to be. Brian Kemp? has flatly rejected any accusation that he's suppressing the vote. In this farce about voter suppression and people being held up from being on the rolls and being able to vote is absolutely not true. That's Kemp at a gubernatorial debate in October. What he doesn't say is how many Georgians he's purged from the voter rolls during his tenure. 
look, there's nothing wrong with states updating their rules so only eligible voters are listed. But Brian Kemp was particularly aggressive about removing voters. It wasn't always clear that purged voters had moved or died or become ineligible. Kemp took office in 2010, and from 2012 to 2016, Georgia removed 1.5 million voters from the rolls. That's twice as many as were removed in an earlier period, from like 2008 to about 2012. That's from a report from the Brennan Center for Justice. In October, Ebony Williams grilled him about it on Fox News. He wouldn't say whether there needs to be a good faith belief that a voter moved before purging them. He just repeated that he was following the law. Brian Kemp likes to say, No one's being denied the right to the vote. It's never been easier to register in our state. Tell that to Nicole Tinson. She had a hell of a time getting registered. In July, Nicole moved to Atlanta from L.A. She runs a company that helps graduates from historically black colleges get jobs. She's one of those organized people who get a new license and register to vote before other newcomers have even unpacked their boxes. The first time I attempted to register in the state of Georgia was utilizing the Rock the Vote website. She would go on to register five more times before the October deadline. She was worried. And when she went online to check whether she was all set, it would just say, No results found. Nicole registered both online and with paper applications. That's important because Kemp has said online applicants who have state-issued ID don't have the problems registering that paper applicants do. But Nicole did it by the book, and she still waited three months. Oh, absolutely. I've never had this kind of trouble registering anywhere I've lived. Not in L.A., not in Texas. In the last debate before the midterms, Stacey Abrams herself pinpointed the problem. In the state of Georgia, you are not required to timely process applications. We reached out to Fulton County for comment. Their director of registration and elections said a precinct card can take six weeks to send. Nicole's application took double the time. No one was intentionally trying to suppress Nicole's vote. Slow bureaucracy might be to blame. But Nicole didn't know that. She was convinced that Kemp was intentionally trying to keep her from voting in a historic election. Voter suppression has consequences. Ballots don't get cast. American citizens get shut out of voting. But for Marsha Appling Nunes... This kind of lit that fire. Now she realizes she's a target. And as she puts it, she ticks every box Republicans worry about. I'm African-American. I have a Hispanic hyphenated last name. It was like every possible flair that could go off for them to make sure I couldn't vote was, was being ticked. And now Marsha realizes there's a fight to vote in America, and she better suit up. 2020 is coming, and the next election, she says she's not just going to vote herself. She's going to get others registered, too. Voter suppression is firing up the resistance. Here's Manitti again. When people are told that there's an effort to take their vote away, it can cause a mobilization of people to then say, oh, no, 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 you're not going to take my vote away. It can backfire. There are groups on the ground who help people get IDs to be able to vote or get a ride to the polls. In Georgia, several groups like Black Voters Matter work to increase participation. The day before the election, I went to the home of Latasha Brown, who we heard from earlier in the show. Sitting by a fire in her living room, 
She was taking nonstop calls in between bites of her first meal of the day, a bowl of cereal. Before her phone rang again, I asked her about today's barriers to the ballot box. I think that there is a problem that now we've been having people in place, like the Republicans that are putting all these voter suppression tactics in place that are impacting our community, and then we just supposed to work harder? Hell no, we shouldn't have to work harder to vote. At this point, we've got to do something different that makes sure that we are ensuring democracy, that there's a permanence. She told me Black Voters Matter has two strategies, one short-term, one for the long haul, and in the 11th hour before an election, Voter mobilization is crucial. The day before Election Day, I rode the Black Voters Matter bus down to America's Georgia to meet volunteers. They were coordinating rides to the polls. Here's Wanda Mosley of Black Voters Matter. Election Day is tomorrow, as we all know. They're getting it done down here in Southwest Georgia. This effort that you all have coordinated is absolutely amazing. This is what it looks like when a community comes together. The volunteers were about to start knocking on neighbors' doors to make sure everyone had a way to get to the polls. But before we go, got to get in a couple of quick little chants. Y'all ready? <clears throat> Everybody warm up the vocal cords. Are we ready? All right, here we go. When I say black voters, you say matter. Black voters. Matter. Black voters. Before they set out, I spoke to a gentleman named Bobby Fuse. In the parking lot, he heard me ask a neighbor about voter suppression, and he was having none of it. Suppression is such a nice word and very politically correct. But Bobby Fuse says it's actually... The same old story of out keeping the Negro from voting, point blank, whatever you have to do. To his mind, nobody ever stopped trying to get between him and the ballot box. He sees a clear line between today's struggle to vote and the struggle a half century ago. Can I ask how old you are, sir? I'm 66 years old, and I've been on this battle since 1968. And the battle isn't over. In the long term, Latasha Brown told me the best way to fight voter suppression is... To get people in office that are aligned with our values and they believe in black folks' right to vote. Let that sink in. Only certain politicians believe in black folks' right to vote. Only certain politicians believe every American citizen deserves to cast a ballot. It sounds incredible to say it in 2018, but this is where we're at. In November, as ballot counting stretched past Election Day, President Trump tweeted that Florida shouldn't consider any votes tallied after November 6th. That's right. On Veterans Day, our president suggested that we don't count the ballots of soldiers, never mind that legally they could be accepted for five more days. It shouldn't be a partisan issue to say, let every vote be counted. We've got to shift the power dynamic. This is our country. Those politicians don't tell us what to do. We tell them what to do. If they cannot carry out the tenets of democracy as they were elected to do, they've got to go. They are not the ones to choose. We choose. Long before Latasha Brown founded Black Voters Matter in 2016 with Cliff Albright, she was a singer. Her grandmother taught her songs that now she sings to voters she meets. For me, when I'm angry, I sing. <laughs> when I'm feeling really, really depressed, I sing. When I feel like I need to be charged up, I sing because music has a particular kind of way that it moves my spirit. Well, the first thing I did right was the day I started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize and hold on, hold on, 
Hold on, hold on, keep your eyes on the prize and hold on, hold on. That's a civil rights song that I learned from my grandmother, but that um, people use just as a message, just hold on. We just got to hold on. We just got to hold on and we've got to believe. And we also can't get disenchanted with this process that we pull out. That's the, that's the purpose of it. The purpose of these voter suppression is for people just to throw their hands up and say, forget it. You've been listening to Shut Out, a podcast about the fight to vote in America. I'm your host, Catherine St. Louis. This episode was written and reported by Sam Levine and me. We're edited by Sam Story. I produced this episode with studio assistance from Nick Offenberg and Sarah Patterson. Special thanks to Paul Josephson, Joe Confino, Taryn Finley, Emily Peck, Otis Gray, Morgan Givens, and the Kansas Democrats. And a huge thumbs up to HuffPost's Mark Jenks, who managed this production with grace. Shut Out is a production of HuffPost. Hey, listeners, it's Sam Levine at HuffPost. If you like Shut Out, spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Take a listen to Peace of Mind, a new podcast by singer and songwriter B. Beeman. It's actually a new album, but he's releasing it as a podcast. Each episode features a different song accompanying conversations and storytelling about the issues that inspired it. Issues like voter suppression and immigration. We think you might like episode three of Peace of Mind. It's all about voter suppression and features an in-depth interview with Dale Ho, the director of the Voting Rights Project at the ACLU. New episodes are available every Friday. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.